Christoph Veit from Fight is here to give you a really deep insight. Our motto is in the air. And if one company really knows how to work with air, then it's Fight. Christoph is here today to share some really deep industry insights with you from their perspective. So I promise you not that this is going to be a highlight. Come to the front, make it cozy with us. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to Christoph. Please give him a big round of applause. Thank you so very much for that very generous introduction. I feel highly honored and a little bit intimidated, but there is not that many of you, um, so I would love to make it just a touch interactive and start by asking you a question to find out who you are. Who here is from brand side, representing any kind of brand whatsoever? Fair or not fair or whatever. Okay, who's producer side? Supplier side, fantastic. And who is design side? Maybe fashion in more general, maybe, um, thank you, also large sector. And who's student or looking for their way right now? Awesome, awesome. We're all looking for our way, I think. So there's, um, all of these are equally valuable, and I'm, th I'm very happy that we have a mixed audience, actually. This is fantastic. So who am I? Um, this is not supposed to be a commercial, and I hope this thing works. Doesn't yet. Well, um, I'm the third generation of a family-owned German medium-sized enterprise. We build ironing equipment. So my grandfather, over 64 years ago, started to build the first decentralized ironing tables. You all know hand ironing tables where you iron with your hand on a flat surface. Um, we started building industrial hand ironing um, tables that were decentralized, meaning that you can move them around. Actually, 64 years ago, you couldn't move them. But I'm not going to go any deeper. So third generation, uh, I'm the one that in Germany we say kills any business. I'm the one that probably is going to do it all wrong. Um, I started not joining the family business. I went into development aid because our whole industry moved to Asia in the 80s and 90s, or most of the production, and our family followed. And I saw so much poverty in my youth in the industrial islands of Indonesia, at that time in the Philippines, then in India, that it shocked me to the core and that I couldn't just say, okay, I'll build machines. So for four years, I worked with Brussels and with the United Nations, but mostly with the European Commission on Development Aid, and then realized, wow, the bureaucracy is terrible. And I'm not, or I believe we're not having the impact that we should be having to change, to transform what, what the picture in the world, which is one of unimaginable poverty and dis disparity. So um, I uh, read about social entrepreneurship, social impact, investment, and so on. I realized that maybe, maybe in our industry of my father and grandfather's business, there's a chance. Maybe there's a chance to do something in the garment industry. And actually there is, obviously. I just didn't see it. All of us together are part of a huge, huge um, cycle with millions of workers in it, and we can impact them, be it here or be it there. So we work in three major markets. Just let me run through this very quickly. The garment industry being the largest one, but also textile care. That includes e-commerce businesses like Rent the Runway. So we're also involved with the sharing economy for garments. Everything that basically uh, gives shape to a garment. So we started with ironing tables, but now we do presses for suits, we do automatic finishing, so that's refinishing, making a garment look good again, have shape again. Plenty of different products. We're all around the world. We have about 400 staff. We uh, sell in every major 
producer uh, market, you probably won't be able to read this, but uh, we, are, we are wherever garments are being made. Wherever you need to iron something, we're there, or a copy of our equipment or one of our competitions is there. And so here, where there's uh, a lot of brand side, where there's a lot of design side, there's not so much actually from the producer side at the show or from the suppliers to the producers. So we're a supplier to the producers, um, and that was my mandatory commercial, but it also gives you, it gives you an insight as to um, what we're doing and where I come from, what my perspective is. My perspective is not somebody with a vested interest in green. I sell machines, yeah? My, my heart interest is to stand here and to be part of the revolution that some of you guys are trying to make right now and that I wish would happen really on a large scale, not in a microcosmos. So um, everybody is talking about sustainability, um, but the media are very, you all know this, very, it's either everything is terrible or there are really green highlights. And most of the major brands now have made in the last year, there's a, been a watershed, they've made massive commitments. After the World Economic Forum, everybody's saying, by, but it's always three to ten years down the road, by X, Y, Z, we're going to go carbon neutral. We're going to go uh, n uh, all non-plastics, whatever, yeah? Huge commitments, they're all way down the road. And um, between that talk and the bad rep that all of us get together in the media, there, there is a really complicated, messy, strange, difficult, not easy to explain reality. And that reality is not... It can't be sloganized, and we all have to be very careful with that, not to demonize or to sloganize, but to work together. So I was speaking recently in Pakistan, just a few weeks ago, actually, at an event where I talked about the burden that is currently being placed on the supply chain. And those of you who are in bigger operations probably know that except for the luxury market and the fast fashion, and a few highlight brands, recently the premium brands have not been doing very well. Kind of the middle of the game have not been doing very well, and actually even capacity in Bangladesh and some other places has gone down a little bit. And we, we live in a world where for years garment prices have not gone up. They've gone repeatedly down or stayed the same. But all the other costs have gone up. All other consumer goods have gone up. We don't even account for inflation in our industry. So much of that is being pushed in the total supply chain back onto the producers. I know countless producers in China and Pakistan and Indonesia, but also in Tunisia or Portugal, in Poland, and, and many other places. And what we ask of them, we as the consumers and we as the brands, is really difficult. I want you to just let that sink in for a moment. It's really difficult. We want everything faster than ever before. 24 seasons a year, yeah, if possible. We want it as good as possible, so quality, but also fit and style and everything. Maybe FOB, you have to have all the know-how. First fit, no sampling, short sampling process, and so on. And we want it cheap. And so I go to a lot of sustainability conferences, and the first question I ask the brand-side guys is always, do you link your buying and your sustainability guys strategically? Do you... When you do price discussions, does sustainability factor in or not? Yeah. And if they don't, then I'm not really sure. Are they just pushing compliance? And then they're going to say, you have to do all of this, but now give me five cents more. And this is actually reality that I hear from a lot of our customers all the time. 
And also there is something called audit fatigue, which many of you probably know, which is the different brands have different standards, and they all ask the supplier to please have all of these social standards, all of these labor standards, all of these ecological standards, and they have them in parallel. So sometimes they even change their corporate company policy when an auditor from a different brand comes to visit. Sometimes it's 14 audits by different brands. There's an initiative called the SLCP, which is working on reducing that. So the world is complex, and I just, as a machinery supplier who's at the very short end of the stick, because I sell to the, to the producers, to the suppliers who are being pressed for price, so they press us for price, I just want, to have, I want you in this equation where we all look to Bangladesh and say, well, they're just bad, they're just unethical, and so on. I want to, to rebalance that image in your mind just a little bit. There are highlights... There are really good examples that are changing the industry, and there's lots of suppliers that are not great. But there's, there's something in the middle, plenty of people in the middle. So um, now, on top of that, on top of this already existing complicated supply chain, we've added additional requirements. And I'm all for them. My heart longs to make that possible, that we really transform the supply chain. But I think, and I want to tell you one story, we need to change the way in, in which the supply chain works rather than just put more pressure. Yeah? And this has to do with partnership, in my opinion. So, example of Rose. Um, I will call her Rose, her name is something else, but Rose is a female leader in the garment industry with several thousand employees in an Asian country. She has a German, very famous, well-known brand buyer come to her and say, I'm going to give you this in this capacity if you make a sample order of 500 pieces, this and this quality for me perfectly. She sends her technical guys to Germany. They train for three weeks all of this expense covered by her. She invests in half a million euros of equipment, and then they don't give her the order. So Rose was trusting, actually, and I'm German, Rose was trusting the word, yeah, just the word of mouth, um, that she's going to get the order if she does everything that's required, but their business wasn't good, so they couldn't give her the order. And she's completely lost face and her investment and she is scrambling to fill capacity, and then she fills it with the cheap guys. Yeah? So, um, and on the opposite end of the spectrum, but same kind of topic, is a supplier here. This is in Bangladesh, one of my favorite. It's a platinum green certified denim production. They never make commercials. They have photovoltaic everywhere. They have three different um, temperatures of drinking water for their workers, 360 degrees outside view into the green. Um, they're always full of orders, and they were the first fully air-conditioned uh, working place in this industrial zone, and now every, every factory in that industrial free trade zone is air-conditioned, because all the workers wanted to move there. And uh, I asked the general manager here, this, by the way, you can see it's all LED lights, and they have Swiss technology for daylight to come in. It's, it's super modern Swiss technology to magnify daylight. And it's an automatic sensor. If the illumination goes under a certain degree, we switch on the LEDs. Otherwise, no. They re recycle 100% of their water. They gave bicycles to all of their workers. Yeah? And I asked the CEO, how is this possible? With what money do you do that? Yeah? And he said, well... The family that made this investment, a Sri Lankan investor, said, we're going to do it right one time. They already made their money. I asked how much longer the ROI, five years. Five years longer ROI until they get their money back to have all of this instead of a normal denim production, which I've seen plenty of. Yeah? And now I ask you, in, in, a, in a situation where you have 
on average in, in Bangladesh, I just spoke with my team. We have 12 people working in Bangladesh. I asked them, how long is the average forecast for most producers? How much time do they have order certainty for? And can, can guess that probably things will go similarly. Yeah? A quarter on average. A quarter of a year of certainty, and you need to make an investment that takes at least five years to get back in a totally uncertain environment. And I think that's a little bit unfair. And we need to, we need to push in, in order to have partnerships. We really need partnerships in this industry. Um, and here's an example from us. Uh, this is a fusing machine. Some of you might know fusing machines, many, maybe not. They're used mostly in formal wear to glue two type of fabrics together with pressure. So every shirt collar, every um, front placket is fused together. In every suit, not this one, but most constructed ones, you have fused elements. In every pants, you have fused elements. So fusing machine, and this is maybe my, my most important input for today, um, we've revolutionized fusing that you use less than one-third of the energy that you did before. And it's the highest energy-consuming process in a cut-and-sew operation for shirts, for example. So 200 sewing machines with very, very little footprint and fusing, which you heat everything up to 150 to 200 degrees, huge energy eater. How many people bought this machine because of the environmental savings? Zero. We were completely frustrated. We did this over 10 years ago. Nobody bought it because of that. They only buy it because it gives you a good product. So there is a real disconnect between the hype and the talk and everything, brand side, public side, and so on, and a production reality where everybody's pinching their pennies and just trying to get out a really good product. So they will buy our machines for a good product, but not for sustainability. And um, what I think we really need to work towards is a more shared responsibility from the consumer all the way to the production, to the material, in fact, in terms of sharing the burden of sustainability. The producer alone cannot bear that cost and burden alone. The consumer has to be a little bit ready, but everybody has to be a little bit ready. And here you see a couple things. I mean, we're moving towards a shared economy. I think mindsets are changing and regulation will have to keep moving in this direction. And this is, this is the reason why I'm here today. Um, there's a topic in, that I feel is highly under-reflected in our industry so far in the sustainability dialogue, which is AIR. And I'm so happy that Max and his team actually made AIR the topic for this show, because what you, what you might think are the, the largest you know, buildings, for example, buildings collapsed in Bangladesh and killed thousands of people. So everybody went into buildings. Yeah? Then we went into water, because we see the polluted rivers and we try to save energy, but air, nobody has looked at. And this is our machine from the inside, and nothing has touched these metal frames except air. This is the air that comes from the garments that you wear when they're heated up to 150 degrees. You see the, that something is, is dripping down there from these metal bars that is paint, that is powder-coated paint, which is on plenty of products all around you and never drips down, never, even if you heat it to 500 degrees. But at 150 degrees, with the chemicals that are in the garments that we wear, in the markets that I come from and the guys we sell to, we've had seven such machines around the world now that end up looking like this, and in fact, it gets worse, and then we re we've replaced them on guarantee fully. Yeah? But it's, it's because nobody wants to talk about it. And... Um, and, and, and this got me thinking and talking with people, and I think we need to study this topic 
what air do the people in the productions breathe? Because every sewing machine, first I thought it's just the chemicals, yeah? And, but every sewing machine punches a hole like a shotgun, boom, through the fabric and releases fibers into the air. And you will sense the cotton dust. Actually, when you walk into a production, you, will, you can feel it. If you've been to plenty of big productions, you kind of know the smell, yeah? If you go to the fusing areas, it's worse. Yeah? Wrinkle-free, maybe the worst. Yeah? But, um, but there is a serious topic here which we've completely overlooked and need to look at. And I, I hope that together with you, we won't, and I hope nobody from the media here is going to make a huge run out and say, there is a huge problem, plenty of people are dying. No, I don't think plenty of people are dying. But if the powder coating melts off a machine frame, what do you think it does to a human lung? Yeah? So... We need to study this topic, we need to look into this topic, and I want to work together on this topic. We've created for this machine some filters, carbon filters on the front and end uh, of this machine, and not introduced it publicly, but only to the biggest shirt-producing companies in the world, and they said, yes, we're interested. Yeah? So how much formaldehyde can it take out of the air? How much of these and these and these chemicals? So they started asking us these questions that made me even more scared. Yeah? So my time is up. Um, Actually, what I would love to create, and if I don't do it, I would love it even more if some of you did it, and I, this will, you ask the question, are you going to have a copyright on your products? This product, this is an ironing table. I think we should make the ironing tables, which are huge ventilators, actually. They suck air and they blow out air. That's what we do, yeah? We should put filters in them. And do you know how many of my sales guys believe that I can sell one of those if it costs a few dollars extra? None of them. So we have a topic, and we're responsible for hundreds of millions of people working in this industry, and I, I just want to raise a little bit of awareness and say there's no bad guys out there who are evil on purpose in our industry. People try to make a living, try to, people try to make money, and they want to do good, but sometimes they don't have the resources or the relationships or the finances to do it. Um, yeah, I think that's the end. And to encourage you to the very end, a good read, Black Swan, um, this is about what's highly unlikely and what, how improbabilities have a huge effect. We think, each one of you thinks, I'm just one person in this industry. Each one of us thinks that. And as one person, you feel like you don't have power, but that's completely wrong. Yeah? Each one of us has power and significant power because between cause and effect, there is no direct relationship in terms of the size of the cause and the size of the effect. Tiny... Tiny causes can have huge effects in our world. This is scientifically uh, validated, yeah? So please be encouraged when you walk out of here. Share this topic, ask me stupid, or any kind of questions after. Um, let's all work together to make this a little bit better. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.